Hello, I'm Laura Furiosi, divorced mother of three, and I'm here with my mother, Lynette Galvin, with 35 years' experience in family law. You're listening to the Divorce Course Podcast. Through our candid discussions, we hope to help you through your divorce or de facto separation. We will be answering the most commonly asked questions and covering the stages and steps that you will face on your way to freedom. Hi, and welcome to episode four of the Divorce Course Podcast. You've got Lynn Galvin here. Hello, everyone. And you've got me, Laura, her (laughs) daughter. And mum, as you know, is a qualified family lawyer, been practicing for how many years now? 35, I think. 35 years. Yeah. Seen it all, been there, done that. Oh, I'm always seeing new stuff for us. <laughs> um, so today's episode, we've already touched on in the past, if you haven't been on, uh, what to do before you tell them you're leaving. We've touched on who should move out, yep. who, why, who should stay and, and the pros and cons. And today we're going to be focusing on really, um, you know, Starting the process, what yep. that next step is. You, you've decided to leave. You've physically left. Now, yep. what are you supposed you're, you're to do? You're safe and hopefully you're comfortable in somewhere that you can stay for the next six to 12 months. Mm-hmm. And yep, now you turn your mind to getting started, I guess, on sorting out property and children's matters. But, you know, just working out about the kids, working about, about your stuff, the yeah. house and so Really Everyone who's not a lawyer, including myself, I go, oh my goodness, what do I do? So you've Mm. said to me, you need to know where you stand. So what does that mean, know where you stand? I think knowing where you stand means knowing what the court would do if you weren't, if you were going to ask the court to make an order, because everyone negotiates from that, from that spot. Okay, if you know what the courts would likely give you in terms of property settlement or what arrangements they might say for the children, mm. then you can work from that base to work out what you're prepared to compromise on. So um, I, I always worry when I see people who've negotiated an outcome, mm. want, it, want it reflected in perhaps consent orders or something, but they've never gone and got advice as to what they were entitled to. So in other words, you think that they've, they've thought they knew what they were doing yep. and then they get they get a bit ripped yeah, off. Yeah, that's right. And, and look, I get it. It's not just money, of course, in mm. these things. There's all sorts of reasons why you might settle for less. Mm. Uh, there's the, like there's the uncertainty of mm. litigation. Uh, there's the time delay and the money, mm-hmm. you know, you just and want the emotional done. cost. Yeah. Yep. So so that's fine, but it doesn't hurt for you to go to a seal lawyer. Yeah. Um, and get an overview of where you stand as far as the law is concerned, what your expectations could be. Uh, we'll often see because poor family lawyers do nothing but. So we'll often be able to identify something that you might not have thought of, mm. you know. And so that doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean you're going to be slugging it out in court anytime soon. It's just like we said, know where you stand mm. and then you've got that information. So what kind of things, if they went to see a lawyer, would they mm. be talking about when you mean know where you stand? Yeah. Like what kind of things? Well, I think the biggest thing really is to tell in an, in a I guess in a nutshell, how the Family Law Act deals with property settlement. Mm. So I always say, look, it's a four-step process, mm-hmm. and and I describe that to them because sometimes you can forget what the process is. So okay. the court looks at, and therefore I would be advising my client, looks at what each of you had at the beginning of the relationship, how long you've been together, 
uh, what contributions each of you have made. Uh, it doesn't mean that if one of you is a brain surgeon and the other one's a school teacher that that the brain surgeons regarded as making a bigger contribution because you're both in that relationship together. It's it's a relationship, not a business. Um, and then the court looks at your future needs and looks at who's got the greater earning capacity, state of health, who's got the kids and so forth. And then they just have a look to see what's fair and reasonable. Now that sounds fairly quick, right? Four-step process, how hard can it be? But the the variety of things that can crop up mm. in a case. Your case, every one of you that's listening to us today, your case is unique. And whilst um, we were joking about I've seen it all before, your combination is your combination and you need specific advice. I just, it, there's no way, although we're going to try very hard to give you all the options, um, but there's no easy way, I guess, to tell you how to work it out. Uh, you're best to go and see someone with your particular circumstances and get that advice. And once you know where you stand, then you can negotiate from there. And then you could possibly do it without a lawyer, the oh, negotiation. Yes. Yeah. So you it's do just, it a it's, it, you're just saying basically it's like finding out this because if you're not a lawyer, you don't know what you're entitled That's to right. and what you're other. So, because, like, for example, you mentioned contributions mm. um, and they look at what contributions you've made. Mm. Um, I just assume that was money. That was no. so. What other kind of contributions are there? Well, for instance, a non-financial constitu- contribution. Sorry, Const- constitution. <laughs> I'm in the wrong wrong law here. So, if we look at contributions, there's two sorts: financial, obviously, and the non-financial. Now, a non-financial contribution might be something as simple as when you first got together. You lived with, say, your parents, okay. rent-free for a couple of years. As in you. <laughs> As in yeah. me, yes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. do you know, that someone's parents might have given you a house a bit cheaper or they gave you, um, uh, I can't think of any other non, non-financial contributions from the other parties, but, okay. but that sort of thing from okay. your family. Yeah. Also, the effort that you put into looking after kids okay. and keeping the house going, that's a... Non, that's a non-financial contribution. Okay, so it means like if you're not the one who's working and they're mm. the one who's working, but you've been at home yep. looking after the house or or looking after the house and kids or, you know, taking care of everything, then technically you are still entitled to some of the money, you know. Absolutely. Not, not just, you mm. know, having to walk away. And that was a case, like th- this Family Law Act was written in 1975. I wasn't practising back then, but there, <laughs> as early as 1978, there was a, a case called Mallet and Mallet um, that I had to learn for law school. Mallet but the Mallet. court made it very clear that the homemaker contributions mm-hmm. are to be treated uh, at the same as the financial contributions. And when you think about it, it makes sense because without someone keeping the home running, usually, uh, the other person probably couldn't have earned. And yeah. that really works. You think about fly-in, fly-out workers mm. or military people mm. who go on deployment. Mm. There are a lot of relationships where one person is away so much that the other person really has to kick in. A bit mm. of a, a bit and they more wouldn't be effort. able to make that money if you hadn't yep. been doing that because right. otherwise they'd be And that's home. your non-financial contribution. Okay. And in businesses, you, you may have someone who's a high-flyer in business, but the other person is doing the books. Yeah all that sort of stuff. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. So, so they look at your contributions. They look at what else again? Oh, did you say? Well, with contributions, can I just say yeah. it's before, during, and after the relationship. So they okay. look at your who had what when you got together, mm-hmm. and then after the relationship, they look at who maybe one of you's minding all the kids and on their own with no child support, child support say, for a year. Well, that's a massive post-separation contribution. contribution. Okay, and so the, that matters. That it counts. It really matters. But okay. what happens during the marriage, I think of it like a polythene pipe <laughs> with, with wires going in, that's each person's contributions, and the wires coming out mm-hmm. and their post-separation contributions. And the court says, it's always said, look, we can't go trawling through 20 years of who earned what and who did what. So we're going to just assume that the contributions through there were pretty well equal Mm -hmm. unless someone, say, got a big personal injuries claim or a big inheritance, Mm. and then they will look at that when they're working out the percentages. So the contributions are of six kinds, like I said, before, during and after financial number. Then, Then they look at future needs. So the future needs of a person... Um, is when the court says, okay, if we divide the property on the basis of contributions only, how are these people going to be down the track? How are they going to be 10 years, 15 years? And for a long time we had um, big issues with with the feminisation, really, of, po- of poverty because what seemed like a reasonable distribution at the time back in the 80s, early 80s, uh, wasn't reasonable when one person had the capacity to earn more and borrow and, mm. you know, and when they did a study, they found that the women who'd inherited or who'd got the houses, say, in the property settlement were living really hand-to-mouth mm. and having a fit if the washing machine broke. You yeah. Know? So the court uh, really does take into account the future needs of people. So they look, if, if you're the same age and you're both healthy and you're both working and you're got 50-50 care of the children and you're both on a reasonable salary, then there probably won't be an adjustment mm. for future needs. Mm. So the split would be 50-50? Maybe 50-50, yeah. yes. Yeah. But, you know, if the, if one's earning a lot more than the other, there might be a 10% split mm. extra, 60-40. Or mm. if one person's got the kids, it might be 60-40 or 65, just depending on what perhaps really what we call the property pool. Mm. Uh, that means all of the assets after you take away all the debt, including the super. If, if 10% of that is only $40,000, when the court's probably going to give it the, the person who doesn't have those resources a bigger percentage because yeah. they actually look at the dollar. So that's where you go with that. And then finally, they just make sure it's fair. So, so you'd go and see a lawyer, mm. um, and and you can see free ones through legal aid. You can usually see every state has legal yep. aid, and as you mentioned, a lot mm. of law firms will do an initial talk to you for yep. 15, 20 minutes for free or for a, sh- a cheap yep. amount. Yep. You don't have to lock yourself into a lawyer. You don't have to lock yourself in and say I'm going to use you for court. You just go in to get some advice. That's right. And and you know some lawyers are cheaper than others, so you mm. know you can shop around for that. So you, you go and find out this information and so a lawyer's going to tell you because everyone's different, like a fingerprint, you know, your, your relationship and your marriage Absolutely. and your contributions before and after and mm. your needs. You might have um, an illness or you might have all sorts of things that need to be taken into consideration. Or one of the kids might have an illness. Yeah. Mm. So all of that um, combined, you then get some information on what you probably should get. Yeah. 
If you went to court. If you went to court. Now, you won't get a, f- a formal letter of advice usually for a, for a reduced fee initial consultation. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people will do, they'll give, have an hour. You can have an hour with the lawyer usually for about $200, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, I recommend, unless it's particularly personal what you, and you don't want to share, I'd recommend taking a friend or a relative in with you mm. uh, to help you listen and, and mm, absorb. Yes. Uh, a lot of firms, we, we give our clients a bit of a case plan, you know, mm-hmm. to, with what they should do next and what their expectation could be and the costs if it had to go to court. Yeah. Anyway, and that, and then there's no obligation. So yeah. You, you take that information and then you, so you, you use yeah, it. Yeah. So, and that's like you're not going to jump off a diving board without no. checking how deep Absolutely. the pool is. So Absolutely. you've got to go find out, you know, what what – what's safe, what, what's good, what, what, what am I entitled to, what am I legally should be looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then then you suggest what? You well, get that information you, and you then... Get it, you negotiate. You negotiate. Now, it depends on your relationship, mm-hmm. but try talking. So you ring them up and go, all right, let's meet up for a chat. It's time. It's yeah. time. Let's sort this out. Let's figure out who gets what. Mm-hmm. And what percentage of the property, yep. money, etc. So let's meet at a cafe. Or I think that's pretty good. I mean, we need to keep tempers under control. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, uh, the other person's been to see a lawyer as well mm-hmm. and found out where they stand. Mm-hmm. Oh, Laura, I think it's important to say now mm-hmm. that judges aren't machines, and so they don't all come up with exactly the same answer. Yes. So your lawyers will probably drive you a little bit nuts by saying, look, you will receive approximately in this range and there's usually about a 10% range, you know, 5% up or down either way. Yeah. So if you go and get a lawyer's advice and you – this is why you have to take family members because I think clients tend to hear the higher percent and they don't hear the, but it might be less. Yes. Yeah. And of course, the person who's probably doing the paying, yeah. they hear the lower number. So, yeah. you know, if in a perfect world, when you're both getting good legal advice, you should be within about 10% so of both, each other. You both go get legal advice and come back and go, okay, we should be around this area. Yes. And, and you'll put... Your highest percentage will be if you have a golden, shiny, perfect case and everything goes right and in court. And everything's, yeah. That's right. And yeah. the other person has a really rubbish case. Yeah. So, so it's not likely going to happen. No. So it's going to be somewhere in the middle. That's exactly right. It's the right. same as if you go and get someone to value your house and you get three valuers and they yeah. all come back with a different price. Yeah. It's the same as if you go to the judges and they, you're going that's to get right. three different outcomes. So yeah. I, I see the advantage in sorting it out together by yourselves, not involving a judge. Yeah. If, if it's amicable and it's not high conflict or controlling and manipulative relationships, um, it's a good idea to do that because then yeah. you are in control yep. of what happens. Well, even it, it doesn't really matter what the personality of the other type is. If you're able to talk to them, yeah. you know, you might be able to work things out because yep. everyone can see how silly it is to hand your problem over to some bloke or some woman you don't know and who doesn't have, know you. You might have had a root canal that day and right. in, a, in a very, very grumpy... <laughs> Got out of the wrong side of the bed. Um, and you just know. luck of the draw. Yep. So so, um, so ring them up, 
hey, let's have a chat over the phone or yep. in a cafe yep. or yep. with with a support friend there. Both you can, can sit down yes. and just say, look, I've been to the lawyer. This is what my mm. lawyer said. What what did your lawyer say? Can we come to a compromise? Yep. And some people do it with emails. Yeah. Okay. Which is fine. Yeah. And and. The, the thing is, at the same time as a person gets told their likely range, they should ask and be told the cost. Yeah. And sometimes it's just not worth it. it it's, like I said, the financial cost. Of going to court. Of going to court. But also the emotional cost, yes. the drama. The roller The delay, coasters, you know. And, and $100,000 now compared to $110,000 in two years' time, I don't know, you know. Yeah. Or if, if you've got a smaller pool yep. and you're fighting cool. over $20,000, well, well, with this, you know. It's all gone to the lawyers. You're better off sorting it. But obviously not everyone can. So mm. so before we go into the what if you can't negotiate, yes. what imagine if um, that the people had, they sat down, they've seen their lawyers, they know where they stand, they've come to an amicable agreement on this is what we're going to do. Okay. Yep. How how do you how do you make sure that then that is what happens? What do you do? Well, okay. First, first of all, can I say some people I, I hear back from them three months after we've had a talk or okay. they come to see me, uh, three or four months, and they go, I give up, I can't sort it out. Yep. We're stuck on this point. Yeah. Um, so I get people saying, Hooray, we've sorted it out. Can you just do an order, a consent order for me, or okay. a financial agreement for me? And I say. Fine, I'll act for you. Your partner has to have their own lawyer. Okay. I'm not seeing both of you together. So, um, or they go, I'm tearing my hair out. We can't decide this. They may say to me, look, Lynn, can you write a letter Mm -hmm. to him? And I would write a letter to them saying, dear such and such, we act for, da-da. We understand that all these things are agreed or that nothing's agreed, but mm. and try to put your case to them. Yeah. And and then I always finish those sort of letters with saying, look, you may care or we strongly recommend you get advice from a lawyer and we look forward to a response from you or your lawyer. Mm. Usually if a couple of letters, when there's one or two sticking points, we'll sort things out. Yeah. It, it's only the real stayers that so, have to go to this next stage. So it puts a little bit of a rocket underneath it to, well, to get it finally past the finish line. That's right. Just that little bit more of a nudge. Well, it, it does because it's their lawyer who will say to them, mate or, you know, miss, yeah. you really don't want to be going to court over yeah. this or they're right. Or we might get a letter back saying, no, that's not what happened. This is what happened. Because, uh, okay. you know, things get muddled. All right. So so if they've agreed mm. on everything, mm. do they need to go and see a lawyer? Well, the consent order document is really easy to fill out. Okay. And there are kits online. So what, so is, what, is, what is a consent order okay. document? So before the court can make an order about anything, they need to be asked to do so. So right. if you were going to have a fight, you would put an application into the court, the other person would put in a response, you'd file other documents, fight, 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 and a year or two down the track, a judge gives you your answer. Right. Okay. With the consent order, you still have an application. You're saying to the court, please sort out this property for us. But at the same time, you file the orders that you want and you say, and by the way, we've agreed on these orders. Would you please make these orders? And the court, as long as they're just and equitable, mm-hmm. in other words, the court just won't rubber stamp a rubbish deal. Yeah. As long as it looks fair to them, 
uh, the court will then seal them and you've got your orders. And that probably takes about six to eight weeks to process through the court. Okay. Um, and, and the application for consent orders, yeah. the client, my clients normally do their own. Yeah. Uh, there's a bit of numbers and things in there. Uh, the other party has to fill in a part of it as well. Needs a bit of cooperation. And I always recommend that the orders at least are drafted by the lawyers. Yeah. So because it's just because they have to be enforceable, they have to be clear. Because what and happens if sorry, so they get the consent order, mm. they send it into the court. They we've, we've agreed. This is what we've agreed mm-hmm. on. Can you please rubber stamp it, basically? Yeah. Um, if they're not drafted by a lawyer, then well, it's enforceable by by it's enforceable by the court. If you've got to follow the rules, and if you stuff up mm-hmm. and write the wrong thing, yeah, then you're stuck with it. That's exactly right. And and it's very hard to overturn an order, even a consent order. So you need to know, for instance, you need to have an or else. Okay. If someone's got to do something, you've got to have an order that clearly states who has to do it, when they have to do it, how they do it, and what happens to them if they don't, and when does this other thing happen if they don't. So, okay. So it's worth... I would say, getting a lawyer to draft the orders for you. Okay. But the application, you can not so that. much, unless unless you really find it hard to deal with your partner. So just backtracking a little bit, well, one more question. Could they just come up with the agreement knowing on where they both stand and never take it to court and never get an order? I'm sure a lot of people do. Yeah. But there's a couple of problems with that. Uh I think it's fine if there's no property or mm-hmm. hardly any property. Yeah. And one day someone will file for divorce if they're married. Yeah. And then a year after the divorce or two years after the breakdown of the de facto relationship, you can't go back, you can't go to court for property settlement without oh. special permission. Oh, so, so after two years, if you haven't done anything. It's the door's it's, shut oh, to you oh. unless there's a particular hardship. Okay. That's for de facto. Yeah. And, and really the divorce is two years too because you wait a year yeah. Um, to file your divorce, but some people wait eight years, nine years, or never divorce. It's against their religion. Okay. And in that case, if they don't have a sealed property order, they can apply at any time Whoa. for property settlement. So you might want to be the person that shuts that gate so you can move on. Okay. Okay. So so you can legally, you don't have to have a court agreement no. to divorce and separate, well, no. well, apart from the divorce, actual saying we're no longer married, but... Yeah propping everything you can decide to go your own way and come up with yep. the prop but if at any point they are not happy with the situation there's nothing stopping them from going to court and saying you know what i changed my mind i think i want more money or um as in the case famous case of farmer and, and bramley yeah the fellow won the lottery mm. 18 months after they were divorced after yeah. they separated sorry okay and she filed an. App- she got nothing when he left. Okay. Right, I, I understand he was a drug addict. Oh she had four kids. Lordy. Um, and he, when he won the lottery, I think it was five million. Oh. He um, he initially said uh, she she filed an application for property settlement. Yeah. And he he said, well, oh, that was mum's money that that lottery, and the court soon soon sorted that out. And then he said. Well, remembering my steps' contributions, yes. she didn't make any contribution to this lottery win. Yeah. And the court said, you know what? She did really. She's been looking after the kids and, mm. you know, and she, I think from memory, she got about $790,000. So winding back to why it's a good idea to have the court 
consent orders or court mm. orders of some sort is you just need to rule a line under yeah. that because yeah. something could happen yeah. and the, the property is dealt with as it is on the day that the court is asked to look at it. So they okay. don't go, oh, but it was only worth 20000 back then. Yeah. No. What have you got today, sir? What have you got oh, today, so ma'am? So two years later you've got yes. shares that have skyrocketed mm-hmm. or you've mm-hmm. won the lotto or you've got a new partner yep. and you're in a new house. That can all be... Oh, okay. I can see the important point of going to court at least and getting that drafted. Yes. And then and then you can, like you said, do the application yourself yep. just as long as the lawyer's helped you look through what you guys have decided to do. I think you need – that's right. You need a lawyer to have a look, I think, at the um, orders. Otherwise, the court will probably reject them if they're not written clearly or – Okay. Yeah, and, and, and it's better that they do that than make orders that aren't going to work. Okay. And don't forget, Laura, that uh, under Section 90 of the Family Law Act, I, I can see you write that down, oh, Laura. Oh, yes, Section I'll follow that away. The Family Law Act, 1975. <laughs> but it's the important thing because if you're transferring a property from one person to another mm. pursuant to, in other words, as set out in a consent order or a financial agreement, we'll get mm. to financial agreement later, um, then there's no stamp duty. Okay. So some, in some ways, a consent order will save you money. It'll save you money. Yep. You just wave your consent order around and there's no stamp duty. You go, please don't give me mm. extra taxes. Yep. And, and okay. also, if the other person, having agreed, then decides they aren't going to co- cooperate, uh, you can have an order in your consent orders that gets the registrar to sign, good old registrar, oh, on their part. Oh, that He keeps coming in all he the time. He keeps coming in all the time. So what happens if you can't agree? Or, and you've and you've lawyers sent letters yep. saying, "Come on, come on, hurry mm. up, let's get it over the line." And you've got a, it's just completely two different opinions on what should be happening, and it's it's epically it's not, not going to be okay. solved. Well, you know, you don't want to spend a lot of time and a lot of money going tis tisn't between the lawyers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what you want to do is is give some serious thought to starting proceedings, mm-hmm. or. Um, the starting proceedings means going application to court. Application to court, yep. And, and remember, an application to the court doesn't mean it will last two years till a judge gives you an order. Only about 2% of cases ever actually end up in front of the judge. Most matters solve by negotiation or mediation along the way. Okay. I forgot to mention, though, Laura, and I mm. should, if you've got an agreement with the partner and the agreement well, isn't exactly fair. Mm. So the court might not make yeah. this because it's not just an equitable, but you, for reasons, you know, that are other than financial, obviously, um, want this agreement to happen mm. and you just you just want this agreement. Yeah. You can do an agreement, which is called a financial agreement. Okay. Used to be called binding financial agreements. Oh, yes. Say a BFA, you'll have yeah. heard of those. And that document says basically, you know what, court, we don't want you involved in this at all. We don't need you to look at this document. We're just going to agree on here and we never want the court to get involved. Okay. So yep. you don't have to go to court. Does the, does the financial agreement rule the line as yes, well? Yes, it does. Okay. It does it very well. Okay. And consent orders, remember, you don't have to attend court. You file them in the court with the orders that you want. And our, so when you say in court, it means it goes through the legal system. Yeah, yeah it just not, gets 
not, handed over the you, counter. Oh, okay. It means you're not standing in <laughs> you're front of a You're not going judge. to a court. That's okay. right. A consent order usually is made by what they call in chambers, Okay. by a registrar in chambers. Sounds very fancy. It's very old-fashioned, isn't the whole it? Thing's in ridiculous. my lady's chamber. <laughs> so so what, what happens is somebody goes to the registry in, in the family court. That used to be my job for you. It did. It did. <laughs> I used to send you off. <laughs> Didn't know what I – like I, I knew my job to hand it over. Yes. Didn't know what I was <laughs> handing over. But yes. yes. Well, that was before you could do it online too. But oh, yes, wow. When you were little, yeah. Yeah. But, but you handed she over the She means counter. little, I mean university. I wasn't filing well, court documents young. when I was two. <laughs> Please, miss, can you find mum's papers? <laughs> so the registrar out the back will have a look. It, it ends up in someone's in tray, okay, oh, okay. and they go through it. And, and they check to make they sure have a look. it's fair. If it's fair, it's whack, whack, yeah. stamp the orders. Stamp, stamp. Okay. yeah. Or, as I said, an agreement that's drawn up. It's tricky and expensive. We'll talk about them at another time. But if neither of those options are available for you. So, sorry, financial agreements are tricky and expensive? Yep. Oh, Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm. It's like that old joke. Why does divorce cost so much? Because <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's the, true. The agreement's tricky and expensive because of what our insurers put us through, oh, and, and so okay. you so ne- usually need an accredited family law specialist to do that. Right. Um, so if you're trying like to avoid going to a lawyer or court, you, you doing the financial do agreement. agreement's not going to avoid it either. Exactly. You, so mu- you might as well do. Must- yeah. 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 That's right. So so. Um, Anyhow, if that doesn't work, if all of that doesn't work, yep. and you still want to try to avoid going to court, mm-hmm. then you can try mediation okay. using a third party yep. and and your two lawyers are there, your lawyer, their lawyer, and, and you know, we shuttle through. And it's you would be astounded at the stuff that can be worked out at mediation. It takes a particular kind of intractable arrangement to resist uh, the mediation by people it, they work uh, that's good yeah. that's good and I think what mediators are, are trained in a way I think the way they know how to help mm. get an agreement together and 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 you know you don't have to go to a mediation and sit in the same room with them nope. if it you can be in two separate rooms and your lawyers can do some Yep. Count their 10,000 steps for the day going from door to door. <laughs> they call that shuttle, shuttle mediation. And I feel like it, I'm sure it comes from some old like weaving thing, but I always think of it as shuttlecock being a, shot from room to room. I thought it was a shuttle bus, you know, <laughs> going from <laughs> bingo to, to the old so, folks. So home. really the, the poor old, like Laura said, the poor mediators back and forward between the rooms. And they're trained uh, to... Listen, and well, you used to do mediation at school, mm, mm. and you're trained to get to the interests that are driving yeah. people. Because when people have separated, they're often not really, they don't get what the other person's on about. Yeah. But if you listen carefully, you can understand what really matters What's, to them. Yeah, yep. what, what is actually the bee in their bonnet. The bee in their and bonnet. if you can figure what that out is, then you can finally resolve mm. everything. So if you go, just quickly, because obviously we're going to cover mediation in yep. our next podcast, um, if you can get an agreement at mediation. Yep. Consent order. Then you do the consent order again. Or the binding financial agreement. Or the agreement. binding. And, okay. Okay. So yeah. so in summary, I'm just thinking, so you've, you've moved out, you've, fi- you've gone and you finally are like, okay, we need to sort our property. We've got to separate yep. this and be- start again, our new lives. Um, you need to know where you stand. 
You've yes. got to go and see a lawyer. You've got to figure out what you're entitled to, figure out what your contributions were, figure out what your needs are in the future, mm. and basically get a percentage, really, of how much you should get or what how it works. It's a real investment. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's a little investment, and it doesn't mean that you're going to end up in court, but it just... Just, just use that knowledge. Know. Yeah, yep. it's it, you need that information. To, you you can't drive a car mm-hmm. until you learn how to drive a car, and I don't think you can do a divorce unless you've got some knowledge on on what, your situation. Your, yeah, and yep. everyone's different. It's like going to a doctor it is. before surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you know where you stand, yep, then you need to do the negotiating. That's right. And you either do it yourselves. Yep. By, in face, by phone, face-to-face phone, emails, whatever. If they do email, can that be used later if you don't agree? Oh. Can that be used against them later? In court, uh, settlement negotiations are what they call without prejudice, okay. and you usually can't give evidence of those negotiations. But just a tip um, is to put the words without prejudice on the top of everything you write. Okay. <laughs> if you put the words without prejudice, that means you without, can't use it in court. That's right. They can't say okay. when you go to court for your <laughs> 70%, yeah. they can't go, but Your Honour, she only wanted 60% way back in yeah. February 2020. Can you put that in text messages? <laughs> People do. Okay, there we but go. The reality is, I mean, technical reasons, all negotiations are privileged Without, communications yeah. and they can't be used but people often make a mistake okay so them. there's a tip without yeah. prejudice if you're going to do it via email mm. um so then you try and negotiate if your lawyer can't do it for if, if you can't do it yourself go and see if the lawyer can put a rocket up it to get yeah. it over the line if you can't do that then you've got to file well, well no try oh, mediation try mediation yep and then and then if that doesn't work there's another exciting step now which is called arbitration oh my goodness it's been around a while uh, but it's just starting to be used so if you've got a, a not a lot of money mm. and you want an outcome and for some reason all the king's horses and all the king's men can't get an agreement with mediation you can ask an arbitrator to make a judgment for you oh so instead of a judge instead of a judge you get somebody else yep so I'm trained as an arbitrator. You'd get someone, there are a lot of ex-judges who do arbitration, hmm. and so you pay them a lot more than you'd pay to go to court, and the judge, what what the rule is, or what it is, is the arbitrator looks at all your, of your documents, and you actually have, your lawyers will make submissions to the arbitrator, like yeah. talk to them on the phone usually, and then the arbitrator sits down and writes, not a judgment, but it's a sort of judgment, they call it an award. And so they write down what they think the answer should be. And what you've done is you agree, before you give it all to the arbitrator, you agree that whatever the arbitrator says, that'll be your settlement, okay? So is, so is arbitration like court outside of court? Yes, it's, it's exactly that. And it's dearer? No, not dearer than court. Oh, so it's cheaper? Yes. So why would... But it's quick, and it's quick, see? So I know that one judge in in Queensland, retired judge, is giving an answer in three weeks. Wow. And and you have matters that will go two to three years. Wow, that's great. So that's great for moving on. Yeah, okay. Now, what happens is because arbitrators, like I'm not a judge, right? Mm -hmm. So if I write my arbitration award, I send it to the parties. Mm -hmm. They 
if if one of them goes, hang on, this is rubbish. Yeah, I don't <laughs> or, agree with this. this yeah, I don't right, agree I with this. Yeah. Well, what happens is an arbitration award needs to be registered in the court to become an order of the court. Right. Okay. And if you object, then in, then you put in an objection to it being registered. And then the judge has a look at it and goes, oh, no, that's okay. Or, oh, I can see why you're complaining. We'll move it oh, on. So it's so still it's like a mini step. It's like a mini step. And, and more often than not, an arbitration award is followed by the judges because well, you're asking lawyers with 30 odd years experience and you know, and yeah. they've they've been around in front of the judge a lot so go. that's the exciting step that hasn't been used a lot but is starting for used. you that's so exciting <laughs> well, for us <laughs> you imagine if you've got a big property or a little property settlement and it you just, just isn't it worth yeah and you can't reach agreement but you can reach an agreement to go to an arbitrator look that's great you can only do it for property. Yeah. Okay. But if that doesn't work, then you're into the some person you don't know. Well, fair enough, you don't know the arbitrator. But you're on that long conveyor belt to a trial. And that can be a way. can be a, a long time and it's costly. And a lot costly. of paperwork. And, yep. and we'll talk about that in another podcast. Yes. Yay. And, and, you know, it's not as glamorous as you think in the TV shows as well. No. And um, it's really rubbish. The morning of court, the night before... I know my clients aren't going to sleep mm. the night before. It's so stressful. Mm. And then, do you know, the judge might hear the case. It could go one, two, three, four days, mm. right? They take all that evidence. And do you know what happens at the end of that four days? What? Nothing. Usually the judge will go, hmm, I'll consider this and deliver my judgment. And that can be anywhere from a week to a year later. A year Yes. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I can see the advantage in trying to negotiate it yourself if you are fully prepped with what you are aware of and then obviously try the lawyer and then if not, try the mediator and then if not, try the arbitrator. Yes. And then if you have to go to court, then go to court. But you know what? That at least... That gives me a clearer understanding, yeah. and hopefully the listeners today, you, if, uh, like of what the process is. Yep. And um, we've gone over time today, but I oh. think I thank you, Mum, right. <laughs> because this this is a big. It's like when someone says, I have to go to court and get divorced, it's like when someone tries to explain to me what the cloud is for the internet. I'm like, (laughs) I don't know what that means, but okay, good luck. So I think you've explained at least the process. I I think it's good for people to know that no matter how rubbish it is, how tangled it is, how much stuff there is to sort out, the process will ultimately get an answer. Yeah. Whether you like the answer or not, well, different story. Sometimes an answer is better than no answer. You know, than no answer. And, you know, you really are giving control to a judge. Yeah. Uh, with an arbitrator, you've got a little bit more control. I think each of those stages becomes increasingly more expensive. Yes. I think it is a rule of thumb. Yeah. And you can find trials cost thirty to 60000 or more, depending on the... Oh my Yes, I know. And you could go on a holiday. <laughs> well, your kids, you could take your kids to Disneyland. I know. So it's rubbish to do that. And yeah. and I know in my practice, um, and I think most reputable family lawyers, we would rather do 15 quick settlements for people mm. than one big case. So that myth about lawyers wanting to screw for all your money and, and, and take you to court and make mm. sure it's at court isn't true. 
Not for, not for good lawyers. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I want to speak for all of the lawyers. <laughs> I guess that's like saying the entire human race. Is yes. All, yeah, but okay. by and large, the, the family lawyer, people who practice in family law mm. uh, are a different breed, I think, to of the lawyers. usual lawyers. Yes. Yeah. You, we have to not be too scared of emotion. We're usually reasonably empathetic. Yeah. And, uh, and I think you'll find most reputable lawyers are just really wanting their clients to get through in one piece. Yeah. Emotionally and financially. Just like you, Mum. Yes. <laughs> thank you, daughter. <laughs> anyway, we've chatted for a little bit longer, but thank you so much, Mum, for sharing your in- information and brain with us. And to all of you out there that are looking to take that next step or trying to figure it out, um, we will continue to talk about each of those phases. If you're interested, yep. you can find each episode relating to where you're up to. Yep. Um, and we wish you all the best and thank you for listening. And thank you, Mum. Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you found this podcast helpful, we'd love it if you could rate, review and subscribe. By doing so, you are spreading the word to help someone else just like you. Lynn would like to remind you that this podcast is general advice only and you should always get legal advice in relation to your particular situation. And remember that the Australian laws may have changed since recording in 2020.